0: How can we be marriage visionaries? Like if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and if we have the mandate to love other people as Jesus loved us, and then resurrection power, which allows us to love in that way, I think that, you know, we should really be doing this well, which is not to say we won't struggle. It's not to say we won't need help, but I think that Christian marriages should set the standard for this is what it looks like to have a mutually fulfilling, joy-filled, egalitarian marriage where both people are valued, where both people are, are thriving.
1: Hello, welcome to the compared to podcast. I'm Heather Creekmore, your host, and I am super excited today. I was going to find a new word. I keep saying super excited. I need to find a synonym for super excited, but I truly am super excited because today we're going to talk about marriage. And like I already told you this season, we're going to be focusing a lot on the topic of marriage. And today's guest has just written a brand new book on marriage. And I think you're going to love it because it's, it's got, it targets a specific demographic of marriages, although she's written other stuff on marriage too, but let me introduce you to her without further ado. Her name is Dorothy Greco and she is a friend of mine. As part of my Red Bud writers group. I've gotten to know her a little bit. She is a writer, a speaker, a photographer, a marriage coach, and she lives outside of Boston, Massachusetts. She's the author of Making Marriage Beautiful. And she and her husband have three children. Is that right, Dorothy? That's correct. Three sons. Three, all three sons and they're all married. Two out of the three are married. Two out of three are married and you've been married for 25 years now, right? 29. Actually. 29. Oh, I'm, I'm reading bad information in the back of your book. <laughs> well, Dorothy, welcome to the Compared to Who podcast. I'm glad you're with me today. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to the conversation. So we're going to go deep today on the topic of marriage. Marriage is one of those things that I think a lot of us, I don't know, I studied it before I got married and I thought I knew exactly what I was getting into because I had studied so much. Um, but I think, I think we go into it with a lot of different preconceived notions and I just don't know that anyone can be fully prepared for what to expect in marriage. But your brand new book, which I haven't mentioned yet, is called marriage in the middle. Let me see if I can hold this in the right spot. So if you're watching, you can see it. Sorry for those of you who are just listening, but it's called marriage in the middle, embracing midlife surprises, challenges, and joys. And it's a great book. I just finished it. Super helpful. If you're in those middle years of marriage, but Dorothy, tell me why, why write about marriage? Why talk about marriage? And then specifically marriage in the middle go there. Why, why talk about this particular stage of marriage? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I started off thinking about my first book, feeling like I definitely
0: want to write on marriage. The thing that's most interesting to me is really spiritual formation and spiritual growth. As I was pondering, how could I package together all of the thoughts that I have? It seemed like, you know, maybe this would work together if I, if I combined all of these thoughts and put them together in a marriage book. It seemed like a reach to me, but I went for it. And part of the reason behind it is Christopher and I have done premarital, marital, and long-term healing discipleship groups mm-hmm. in the local churches in the Boston area for 25 years. So we have a pretty good sense of the ways that marriage is hard mm-hmm. because it's different for everybody, right? But there are many, many common themes that come on that, uh, that we see in the context of marriages. So rather than just addressing them couple by couple or small conference by small conference, I think the feeling was, I probably know enough that I could write something to a larger group of people. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what motivated it. The other part is simply that um, in this phase of life, right, I'm, I'm 60, just turned 60 recently. So I'm toward the end of midlife. There's a lot that's going on, you know, our, if, if we're parents, our kids tend to be getting into the teen or, or older years, which means they're making highly consequential decisions, oftentimes without taking our input. Um, We're saying goodbye to our parents and often helping them in that transition, that last chapter of their lives, which is, it's both physically exhausting and emotionally and spiritually like very demanding. I think that's been one of the most surprising parts for me. And then also in this time frame, the disappointments, the hurts, the frustrations that we've had in our marriage relationship really tend to pile up. And, and maybe we've all been feeling that more acutely during the quarantine and the, you know, since March of COVID, right? Because rather than one spouse going off to work or both spouse going off to work and having an eight to 10 hour break, like we are, there is no escape. So the things that normally would feel, you know, yeah, that's a little bit irritating, but no big deal. Now all of a sudden feel like I cannot ignore the fact that you chew that loud or whatever. Uh huh. So yeah, so there's just, there's a lot going on. And we both, my husband, Christopher and I both felt like uh, we wanted to dig in and we wanted to really give some tools to couples in this time frame.
1: That's great. Well, and I love the fact that your husband contributed to it that yeah. throughout the book, there's this little sprinkling of, okay, here's what Christopher says about this. Like this right. is a man's perspective on this may be helpful for everyone to read. I just, I love that. It's it's yeah. really good. And then you also have stories to the book. Tell me a little bit about how you, how you found those couples and, and what that adds to the book. Yeah. So my start in
0: uh, professional life was as a journalist. My training is as a journalist. I've traveled a lot of the world talk to people, the poorest of the poor, the wealthiest of the wealthy, famous, powerful, and everybody in between. I really like talking to people. I like drawing stories out of people. And it also felt like, you know, I'm a white woman. Um, and I wanted this the the book to, to be able to speak to folks who have different stories, different experiences, different histories than me. Um, so the couples, are it's a very diverse pool of people, both in terms of age, in terms of race. Um, and I think how I found them was just by paying attention to what was happening around me. You know, so there's one story in the trauma chapter about a friend whose son um, nearly overdosed from uh, drug addiction, and she is also in our same writing group, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew of her, I knew that she had talked a little bit about this story and thought, you know, there's probably a lot more there as it connects to marriage. And what would it be like if I talked to both her and her husband Mm -hmm. and get them to um, share with us, what was that like for them as a married couple? How did they get through that? That's part of the behind why I wanted to bring in uh, the different couples. And there's eight different
1: interviews. Yeah, and they're, they're all really great. And I love the diversity there. That's really, that's great. So, okay, so let's go back to marriage in the middle. Okay, so loosely define that for me. How many years married do we do we start counting that we're in the middle?
0: It's not so much how many years you've been married, because it's, for it's some who are in the 40 to 65 age range. That's what I was shooting for. Okay, Uh, You know, they might be on their second marriage or we actually have friends who just got married in late 40s for the first time. So it's more an age demographic than how many years you've been married because some folks, it could be five years. Some folks, it could be at this point, like 30 to 40 years.
1: Okay, love that. And I should have gotten that from reading it. And now that you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, it's uh... That's what it is. Okay. So I'm solidly in your demographic, Dorothy, solidly. Um, and, and what really resonated with me was, I mean, so my grandparents were still alive until just a few months ago. I lost both of my grandparents that had been married for 74 years, wow. lost both of them within 10 weeks. But so, but my mom has had two strokes and a heart attack and is in Pennsylvania and I'm in Texas. And so, and I, my kids, well, when she had her strokes, I think my oldest was 12. My youngest was seven, you know, so solidly trying to navigate the, I've got kids at home that need me every day. And I've got a mom who needs me, who's 2,500 miles away. And, and I'll just be honest with you. As I was reading it, I was thinking, I never, I shouldn't say never, but I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to my marriage and the impact that was having on my marriage, because I think when you're in that crisis mode, <laughs> you're like, all I can do is figure out how are the kids going to get school done and eat, and how do I correspond with the doctors and make sure the mom gets care she needs and all the things and, and it has an impact on our marriage. so what, what did you discover? What are some helpful things for anyone listening that, that is in that solid, that sandwich generation? you know you're taking care of your parents, you're taking care of your kids what are, what are some some solid? takeaways or helpful things for us to think about as it relates to our marriage in that stage?
0: It is a very hard time. So I was my father's primary caregiver at the end of his life. And he's not as far away as your mom is from you, but it's three, it was three states, five Mm -hmm. hours in the car. During that season, I was a complete failure as a wife and as a mother. I mean, I was, there was nothing left of me. I was going down to New Jersey pretty much every other weekend which meant, you know, like logging into my son's academic portals did not happen. Mm. Uh, Tracking with the things that were important to him, whether it was athletic events or social events did not happen. And similarly with my marriage, you know, I really did not have much to offer Christopher in that season. Mm. And what was important was that we talked about it, that I was able to say, Hey, I'm aware that I'm, I'm just like evacuated right now, even when I'm home, I feel so exhausted and so stretched thin that the notion of, you know, serving you or making love to you just feels like I'm not really wanting to go there. I just want to like take a nap or go pull the covers over my head in bed. Mm -hmm. Um, So having those kind of really intimate, honest conversations was helpful. Setting boundaries, like it was important for me, you know, they, I mostly work from home. So my son who was home and uh, my husband mostly see me as the one who goes grocery shopping, who deals with the dogs, you know, veterinarian needs, Mm -hmm. um, all those sort of things that normally I do cheerfully and willingly, I couldn't do them, you know, so I had to really say, I can't, can't go to the grocery store, you got to do that, I can't make dinner every single night, somebody else has got to take care of doing that, having clear boundaries, Mm -hmm. not as a way to protect myself, but as a way to say our whole well being is dependent upon us having good communication and being able to acknowledge um, I'm limited. You know, I can't do all the things that I wanted to do in the past or have done in the past. And then reaching out for help, like really just being able to say to my neighbor, you know, I can't, I'm not going to be able to get back in time to get the dog out. Would you mind the key? Here's where the key is. Could you go over and do the dog? Or when she's going to Costco saying, you know, do you mind picking me up these five things? Cause that would save me another trip out to the grocery mm-hmm. store. So those are just a few Um, ideas
1: Yeah. yeah that's really good hey there how much is freedom worth to you that's kind of an odd question right when i was in the midst of my struggle with disordered eating and body image i would have paid anything i had to be free truth is i spent a lot of my budget on things i thought could help me be free like new diets exercise gizmos clothing but none of those things really helped i'm so grateful that god showed me the way out And now I'm passionate about helping others find their way out too. I want them to know that Jesus already paid it all. They don't have to spend another cent to find the freedom they really desire. But truth is, it does cost me something to get this message out, compared to who can't spread the message of Jesus's offer of freedom without the help of women like you. Would you consider making a contribution? Check out "Compared to Who's Patreon page at patreon.com slash compare to who. Then prayerfully consider giving $1 or $5 a month, whatever you can to help. Any amount you'd be willing to donate would be a huge blessing and will go directly towards covering the operating expenses of this ministry. Thank you for being a part of seeing other women set free from the chains of body image and comparison. May God bless your generosity. I mean, I think it could summarize that as saying, you're going to have to ask for help. Yes. And I think that's really hard for a lot of us. I mean, I know I did not grow up learning to ask for help. It was, you know, unless it's a family member, you don't ask people for help, you just suffer until you die, <laughs> And then, you know, and then you're a martyr for it. That was kind of the way I was trained, I'm afraid, but then I married a man who's like, he will ask anyone for anything. And I mean, it used to be mortifying to me. I'm like, you can't ask the neighbors for that. Like, Oh my goodness. Just go buy one. Don't ask them to borrow. that. (laughs) Um, But asking for help is, is I think the only way to survive those, those seasons. And, and that's, that's really, that's solid. I, I will share that when I, the first time I went home to take care of my mom, when she was in the hospital, I got home after being gone for, I don't know, four or five days. And the laundry hadn't been done and everything was looked exactly how it did when I left four or five days earlier, if only there was a lot more laundry and a lot more of everything else. And I mean, I do remember in our marriage, I, I was just like, listen, like, the one thing that would help me is I just, I need the laundry done. Like right. I don't, I can do other things. I can, the other things can wait, but I need the laundry done. And I will say that I'll brag on my husband for a minute. Every, every other time I've had to go take care of a family needs. And my grandmother passed away a couple, a couple of months ago. I went home and, um, you know, he's had the laundry done when I got back. So I think just even being willing to just communicate that, right. um, is, is, is so key. So I, I love that. So let's, so this is the to compared who show. We talk about comparison. Mm-hmm body image, all of those things. And what I found in working with women is that even if you've been married a long time, once you reach those middle years, there seems to be this maybe false perception that like sex will be easy then, or you'll have worked out all the kinks if you've been married, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, 20 years in or now in your mid forties or fifties or whatever. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. And I think that that actually probably hurts a lot of women who believe that they're abnormal, um, struggling, and the only one struggling, that kind of thing. That's what the enemy tells us, at least. So could you speak a little bit just to, you know, how, what role does body image play in these, the middle years? What have you noticed in terms of the role body image plays in marriage? And then also, well, actually, let's just start there and then we'll go on to comparison after that. Yeah, I think first
0: thing, you know, I I don't, I don't have the same body that I did when I presented myself to my husband on our wedding night. Um, It's just
1: you, though, Dorothy. Everyone else does, I'm sure. So that's totally not relatable.
0: (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) No, I'm I'm 25 pounds heavier, right? Um, Right there with you. (laughs) I was always like super, super athletic. All through high school, I played um, sports in college. And then when I was 40, uh, after not long after I gave birth to my youngest son, I started having some really serious health issues, and so I've had numerous autoimmune issues that I've been dealing with for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. That has really that has been one of the biggest impacts on our marriage and on our intimate life, um, because when my pain levels, I have fibromyalgia, when my pain levels are really high. I just like, I can't be present in that way. And, you know, I'm, I've learned how to communicate with my husband in those moments to say, this is not about you. It's not that I don't want you. Um, I just can't get around the level of pain that I have right now. So it's been huge. And obviously not everybody has the same kind of chronic pain issues that I do, but as our bodies age, things change, you know, going through menopause, perimenopause, there's, um, if, if I can be completely honest, you know, vaginal dryness, huge mm-hmm. issue that never even had to really think about before. There's little issues like that for the men, oftentimes in the 40 to 50s, you know, they might struggle with um, erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And that's also a game changer. You know, when you've mm-hmm. just known that this particular, this is the way it works. And this is the way the two of you are intimate. And then all of a sudden you have these little like, oh, didn't think about that. Or, oh, how are we going to, you know, cope with that issue? Um, so there's actually more conversation, I think, that has been happening for us. And because we've been together now for almost 30 years, there's a lot more trust, which makes it easier to have those conversations that, you know, maybe when we were first married in the first five or 10 years, it would have been like, ooh, I don't know if I can go there. Yeah. Now, I think we can because of the level of trust that we have.
1: Yeah. And that, that, I think that adds a, a richness and a sweetness to, to that, too. What about the couple that doesn't have that level of trust even after that many years? What, what, what advice do you give to a woman that's in a marriage and, and it's hard (laughs) because of age and stage, um, you know, the sex has gotten less frequent. How, how would you counsel that woman, um, to, to communicate with her husband or, you know, it, what, what words of encouragement would you have for that woman if she's listening today? You
0: know, just the normal aging issues that we're all gonna have to face, things not working the way they used to work, things even like for me, I used to have a very clear trajectory that I could tell where I was like from um, arousal to orgasm. And now there's times that I just think, I don't really know what's happening. I mean, it's fine, it's great, I'm enjoying it, but I don't know what's mm-hmm. happening. Um, there's that, but then there's also, if there's a lack of trust, what is that about? Is that because a couple hasn't really risked to share those intimate places with each other? Because now's a great time to do that. You know, if you have had this many years together, there should be a willingness to risk everything at this point with your spouse, emotionally, physically, um, in, in all regards. So I would say if there's a, if there's a holding back pattern to really explore, well, what is that about? Did that happen because one of us had an addiction to pornography, and then ever since then I've not trusted the other person? Mm-hmm. Did that happen because I have a lot of body shame, um, and I just can't get around that? Like, what's what's the origin of the lack of trust, and go after that? Because I think that at any point in a, in a relationship in a marriage, we can specifically say. This one issue really needs for us to focus on it. How can we deal with this? And maybe that means going to a counselor. Maybe that means sitting down with, um, you know, a good uh, friends who are really trusted and, and having those kind of conversations where you say like, we feel stuck and when I I'm not sure what else to do.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I love that you just use the word stuck because I feel like that's one one piece of advice we got early in marriage from a counselor was... You know, you need to see someone, whether it's a professional counselor or like you said, just a, maybe a mentor couple friends that are just a little further along or a little bit more solidified in their relationship. But, but his, his advice was whenever you keep coming to the same issue over and over again, by the fourth or fifth time you've been there, it's time to get some help. You're stuck. And, and that was really life-changing advice for us because it was like, oh yeah, okay. We keep having the same fight every Friday night. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's time we bring that up with someone. So, um, so I, I love that. I mean, you can get unstuck, (laughs) right? There's absolute hope in that. tired of comparing yourself to others? It's time to break free, my friend. Check out compared to who.me online and you'll find a ton of great resources, blog posts, videos, and so much more to help you stop comparing and start living. And make sure you sign up for my exclusive email list while you're there. I send my email friends things I don't send anyone else. You can also find out more about my brand new book, The Burden of Better, How a Comparison-Free Life Leads to Joy, peace and rest. If you're tired of battling comparison, friend, I wrote this book just for you. Check it out right after this episode, of course. Let's go to the, let's go to the pornography thing for a second. What, what have you seen? What kind of impact have you seen that have on marriages and and, in this, in this stage of life?
0: I think pretty much regardless of any stage of life, it really is um, a total detriment. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some people who think like, oh, it's okay if you watch pornography together as a way to, you know, become aroused. And Christopher and I would say, it's never okay. There's an objectification that happens where you're looking at somebody else's body and sex is not supposed to be about objectifying Mm -hmm. bodies. It's supposed to be about intimacy and oneness. And when you're looking at a screen and somebody else, that's not oneness, right? That's objectification. So that is super unhelpful. Um, it also s- establishes patterns, particularly if there's pornography and masturbation, which mm-hmm. are often, you know, go hand in hand. Um, quickness, which is not helpful for a woman. If a man is used to reviewing pornography and having a, um, an orgasm within five minutes, I just think, well, that's not the way our bodies work, is mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. So it, it sort of builds this anticipation or expectation that this is what sex is supposed to be like but it's all self-focused. It's not other focused. And that's what, you know, I think that that's God's design for sexual intimacy is other focused. Um, and, and, you know, the longer you use it, the more you're going to want to use it and the deeper you're going to want to go that that's Mm -hmm. definitely the case. Like you, you don't usually just like stay looking at, you know, slightly soft porn, you Mm -hmm. just descend and descend and descend. Yeah. Um, and the only way out is to just be completely honest, to confess it, to get the kind of help that you need to break free from um, that kind of addiction. So we, we're pretty, we are we are strong about saying we don't ever think it's a good idea. And I know that some people might disagree with us, but that that is our stance.
1: No, I, I completely agree. And I mean, I think it even goes so far as to shows on Netflix that are rated MA. I think that some of that is just straight up porn. If you're watching yeah. two people that are naked <laughs> having sex, you are watching porn. I don't care if it's on television and and it has a series and you know all the things. No. And I mean I, I think, you know, especially it's mostly women that are listening to this this podcast, but but I think even for us, just seeing those images I don't know a single woman that has seen a, I'm going to just use the term a hot body woman in something. And then suddenly felt like so awesome about herself that she's like ready to be intimate with her husband. It doesn't normally work that way. Normally you see that other woman's image and you're like, Oh, my stomach doesn't look like that anymore. <laughs> I've never had a butt that looked right. like that, you know? <laughs> and, and the the thoughts keep going and then you're like, no, don't touch me because you're going to feel my flab. Um, And it, it, doesn't actually create intimacy. It actually in that way, even for us creates an obstacle in intimacy. So I totally agree with you there, you know, and so kind of t- that's, that's one kind of comparison, but there's a lot of other comparisons that I think we do as married women, you know, and social media feeds that right. Like, mm-hmm. oh my word, they d- he did that for their anniversary. <laughs> she got that ring like I don't think I've ever gotten jewelry (laughs) you know like like those those sorts of things we can tend to compare our marriages to other people's marriages just you know outside of the realm of sex but just in terms of you know what we see how we see them relating what advice do you have on the comparison front how can we focus on our own house and and not get caught up in in how their marriage looks or how how he's treating her or, or what whatever the case may be
0: well, let me just back up and use the comparison to talk about sex just one little, okay, sure. one more little beat is you know the notion that you're supposed to have sex a certain number of times a week or that the national average is you know whatever is three point seven um, <laughs> Is my, that really what it is uh, it It depends on what you read
1: three point seven for people <laughs> like over forty no in oh, okay. our demographic it's once a week
0: is okay.
1: <laughs> well, that helps me a little bit, Dorothy. <laughs>
0: But what, what I, the point that I want to make is like that if we hear these numbers and whatever the numbers are, first of all, like, are they including male college students in that survey? Mm-hmm. Right? And that's going to inflate mm-hmm. this. It's really more about what works for us. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. we don't want to be saying no to each other again and again and again. And we also don't want like if one spouse wants sex every day and the other spouse feels like, you know, that's just too much for me. We have to find a pace that works for us while not forsaking sex because sex Mm -hmm. is important. So I'll just say that. Then in terms of more generalized comparisons, um, I think that social media really does breed greed. It breeds dissatisfaction. It breeds envy. how can we say that it doesn't, right? No, oh, absolutely. People are putting forth their best selves in social media. And one of the things that Christopher and I have found is that often when a couple is in an unrelenting fashion posting all these, this is where we went for vacation, this is when we went out for dinner, what we discover down the road is that they are in serious crises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rather than them being willing to say, either to step back from social media or to be willing to portray like this was us, you know, on a not good day, there's a way that we get into this rut of creating a false self, a facade Mm -hmm. that we then have to put a lot of energy into propping up. Mm -hmm. And in the propping it up, we lose track of who we really are. And that just is, it's unhelpful. It's um, detrimental in terms of trying to become more like Christ, which is the mm-hmm. ultimate goal, I think, for those of us who are Christians. And in general, I think that it's really, it's a, it's an incredible time suck is that rather than, you know, paying attention to the person in the room with us, right. we're scrolling through and thinking, how can I create something that looks better than this? How can I get more likes than this? Um, so I think that, you know, I use social media and as somebody who's a writer and photographer, I would be in trouble if, if it didn't exist because that is how I talk to people But at the same time, I'm really trying to scale back and really trying to pay attention to how easy it is to get addicted to the likes and addicted to the, you know, any of the other little icons that they have created to to keep luring
1: us in. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think you're spot on. I've noticed the exact same thing with women who struggle with body image. I I can almost i mean in the same way just laser beam in with the woman who is always posting selfies or you right. know pictures of her recent weight loss or whatever and and the, the odd thing is is to the observer it's like oh look she's licked that she finally doesn't have body image issues anymore because she's willing to post that picture but what I found is, is just like you're saying with marriage, it's like, no, that's the woman that's struggling the most. And she's getting reformation from likes, not from, not from a healthy source, right. <laughs> not from her identity in Christ or, you know, not having her husband affirm her or, or whatever. So yeah, that's spot on with marriages. And, and I, and I've seen that to be true too, where it's like, you know, my husband is the pastor. And so we'd be counseling a couple and I would like, know that he was in there with my husband a couple of days earlier. They were in crisis and then see a picture and be like, really, I don't think that's the story. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean, it's good. It's good to remember. It's it's sad, but it's, it's, it's good to be aware of that. Yeah. It's much better for us to just be
0: honest, you know, to not Mm -hmm. feel like we have to compete with each other and be better than the other and have more likes than the other or more followers. You know, when Mm -hmm. we really have genuine intimacy and um, real honesty with somebody that's so much more fulfilling than, than likes. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And so maybe the takeaway, if you're listening or watching today is if you see this on social media, like you see a friend of yours, who's, you know, posting all this marriage stuff, maybe check in on her. I mean, she, she might be fine, but but maybe check in on her. Maybe ask how marriage is going. Be not. Don't be afraid to be real on that front. Well, you mentioned the word sacrifice a couple of minutes ago. And as I've just been kind of thinking about like lessons that I've learned <laughs> in 15 years of marriage, that word, I just, I noticed it in your book when I was flipping through right before we started here. That word just resonates with me because mm. I think as I, well, I I share this in um in in my recent book but we had to read gary thomas sacred marriage before we got married and you know the concept in sacred marriage is that marriage is is designed to make us holy instead of happy and and so my little quip was you know if i wanted to be holier i would join a convent i wouldn't have gotten married like marriage was going to make me happy like i was just so sure of it and um and how god has really changed (laughs) my heart and you know really marriage has been a great sanctification process for me and, and for my husband, I'm sure. But, but thinking in the word sacrifice, I mean, that's one thing that I think going into marriage, I just never, I don't know. I just never thought about like maybe the sacrifice of, Oh, I'll have to compromise on what restaurant we eat at, (laughs) or, you know, maybe I won't get to paint the walls, the color I want to paint them. Maybe we'll have to find a color we both like, like those kind of sacrifices. But I think you mentioned sacrifice in the, in the context of sex. And I think there's a lot more sacrifices that through the years you end up making just to be part of a healthy marriage. And I think that that's one thing that maybe distinguishes or should distinguish a Christian marriage, a God-centered marriage from, you know, what we see just in secular culture is that secular culture, the concept is you don't sacrifice anything. Like if you can't find a partner that, that fits your idea of what your life should be, then you're with the wrong person or he's not bending enough or whatever. So can you speak to that whole topic of sacrifice and marriage and what that looks like and maybe what God's design for that is? I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Mason's book, The Mystery of Marriage. Absolutely, yes. It's one that I return to probably just about
0: every other year and read it again. It was, it's such a rich book, and it never ceases to amaze me that he wrote that when he was really quite young and only, I think, in his first year of marriage. So,
1: Wow, I did not know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's got like a Holy Spirit download. Okay. Um, so he talks about marriage being one-downsmanship, where you're always trying to outdo the other person in terms of sacrifice and in terms of putting them first. And that does not come easy to any of us. I think most of us are self-centered people. We want Mm -hmm. things that we want, and we want them to go our way, and we want them to do things the way we want them to do things. And uh, the fact that we're married to somebody who is not like us, who is not us, forces us to, to conform to Jesus, to change, so that we can love the other person. And that happens in really small ways. You know, hey, I'll get up tomorrow morning because you have had a couple late nights in a row and I'll take care of the dog and, you know, do the other things that need to get done in the morning. Those kind of little sacrifices, big sacrifices, like in that season when I was caring for my dad, that my husband really had to deal with me not being present to him. Um, We didn't have sex as much during that season. Uh, Say a woman who in the book, I talk about a woman who um, had cancer, breast cancer, had both of her breasts removed and she and her husband had to figure out then what does it mean for us to be intimate as a couple now when you're missing this part of your body that was so much a part of what intimacy was like for us. So that's a sacrifice that, you know, he had to make, that she had to make, that they had to figure out how do we lay down our lives for each other so that we can love each other to the fullest. And that changes from season to season. You know, when in those years, if you have young children, there's a lot of sacrifices that happen, I think, in terms of being child-centered or child-focused rather than being focused on your spouse. Um, as the kids get older, we certainly have more time and energy to be focused and um, to prioritize the marriage but still, there's sacrifices that happen all the time. You know, I could just go on and on and on about the many, many, many ways from dividing up chores in the house to, you know, really pushing ourselves to do something that we don't want to do. Uh, Christopher and I started doing prison ministry three years ago, and initially, I wasn't so happy about doing it in a men's prison. Like that just felt a little too intimidating to me. And he felt very clearly that this is something that we should be doing. And so for me, it was a sacrifice to trust him Mm -hmm. and to say, okay, you know, your track record is pretty good. So I'm going to trust you that you are really hearing from the Lord and we're going to do this. And now I probably like it more than he does. So awesome. Yeah. There's a few examples.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. And, and you, your words convicted me a little bit, Dorothy, because I was thinking, you know, I think so often, so I, I mean, our kids are 14, almost 13, almost 11 and nine right now. So I had, I had four kids in five years, um, and, and we homeschool. And so like, you know, my mind I'm daydreaming, of the day, there's actually a drop-off program that we'll do once my youngest reaches seventh grade. So I've got just mm-hmm. a couple years and I'm daydreaming of the day when I'll have be able to drop them all off and have one day uh, alone. But then I'm thinking beyond that and at the same time, I don't know, probably, People listening, maybe you've experienced experiences too at the same time, I'm just like, oh no, my oldest is only home for three more years. And like, you know, counting the Christmases and all those things is is hard. But you, you convicted me with your words because you're saying, I don't know that I spent enough time like dreaming about what my marriage will be after that. You know, instead, I think my mind goes to what can I do career wise mm-hmm. <laughs> when when I'm done with parenting. But but I love that reminder that, you know, that. I need to be thinking about what my marriage will look like down the road and, and having the time back, not for me, but having the time back for us. So, so thank you for that. Yeah. I think in some ways that's really the thesis of the book, marriage in the middle
0: is Mm -hmm. how can we be marriage visionaries? Mm -hmm. Like if we have the Holy spirit living within us, and if we have the mandate to love other people as Jesus loved us and then resurrection power, which um, allows us to love in that way. Uh, I think that you know we should really be doing this well, which is not to say we won 't struggle it 's not to say we won 't need help, but I think that Christian marriages should set the standard for this is what it looks like to have a mutually fulfilling joy filled egalitarian marriage where both people are valued, where both people are are thriving um, and if that 's not happening, you know midlife is a good time for us to to step back and to say okay, you know, we're struggling a little bit. What do we need to do? How can we engage our imaginations so that we can really, really enjoy each other and enjoy the last chapter of our lives? Because if we don't do it proactively, it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Nothing ever just fades into, (laughs) into wonderfulness, right? It takes intentionality. (laughs) So we fade the other way, not, not right. into something, not into, into something me. good. So I love that. Well, Dorothy, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your wisdom. So your, your latest book is marriage in the middle. I'll hold it up one more time. I have not read and I don't have your first book. Tell me what it's called again. i making marriage beautiful, making marriage beautiful. I knew there was mm-hmm. a beautiful, messy word in there. So making marriage beautiful by Dorothy Greco or marriage in the middle by Dorothy Greco and Dorothy, where can we connect with you and get all these things?
0: Probably the best way would be to subscribe to my newsletter, which you can do from my website, which is DorothyGreco.com. It's Greco with one C. Awesome. And also on the website, you can find social media handles. You can find links to past articles and all the information that you'd want about either of these books.
1: Fantastic. And I'll put all the links to that in show notes. Well, thanks again, Dorothy, for being a part of the show today. And thank you for watching or listening today. I hope something in today's episode has helped you stop comparing and start living. Bye-bye. bye Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and two men leave, because... That's how it works. (laughs) Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker, John Driver, for Talk About That at lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.